0: Sportsnet 650. Halford and Brough in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today, we are in hour two of the program. Uh, Jordan Hall from NBC Sports Philly is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off hour two to talk about the cutter go chase situation and all things Flyers. Hour two of this show is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime craft beer is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you or visit
1: the brewery, the brewery, to see how it's made. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintec. Uh, yeah. It was a little too game show host. Host. A too yeah, game yeah, show hosty, yeah. yeah. This flyer situation, weird. Kintech weird situation. Oh, wait, we're not doing that anymore. No, no, no. We're not doing that bit anymore? No, no, no. No, we're moving on.
0: Uh, We are moving on to Jordan Hall. He's going to join us now, NBC Sports Philly, uh, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We do appreciate it. So I'm trying to think of exactly where to start here because there's so many angles and facets and wrinkles to this thing. I guess... I'll start here. With the news now like 36 hours old about Cutter Goche being traded to Anaheim and then all of us learning that he had wanted no part of the Philadelphia Flyers, do you have any better sense, 36 hours in, of what exactly went wrong between Goche and the Flyers?
2: I truly do not. It's still pretty confounding and surprising. It was, it was shocking when it first came out during the first period of the Flyers-Penguins game. And it's still pretty surprising. I think it's starting to settle in for people here um, in Philadelphia. And I think they've moved on now to Jimmy Drysdale and focusing on that element of the Flyers' rebuild. But uh, it's still very uh, mysterious as to why Gauthier did not want to play in Philadelphia. I think, really, until Gauthier decides to talk or wants to talk and maybe disclose or divulge anything about why he kind of had a change of heart on Philadelphia – no one's really going to know exactly what happened. Uh, but I think the Flyers in-house are fully shifting gears now to what's next. Uh, they, I think they came to grips with it uh, when he first told them around May-ish uh, that he didn't want to play here. Um, I think at first they were frustrated and, that, and pretty peeved that, you know, initially he told them that he was pumped to be a Flyer, and then he changed his, his tune. Uh, but now I think they're very much focused on Jamie Drysdale and, trying to see what's next here in their rebuild. And, and really, I think they're going to have to focus on Matt Bemishkov. He's, I think, now going to be the really the next pillar to their rebuild and, and a guy that they're going to want to make sure wants to be here and come here whenever he can uh, when his KHL deal runs up.
0: Now, there was – the actual act of not wanting to play in Philadelphia, but it was also the way that Goche went about his business. And it seemed as though uh, a lot of people were more than willing to point out the numerous occasions in which he very blatantly snubbed the team, including this most recent one at the world juniors, where his camp just flat out refused to meet with the flyers, even though the flyers sent over a contingent essentially. So I think I'm just curious about that angle of it, where it's not just about not wanting to play in Philadelphia, but a large uh, section of the fan base and media pundits saying that this was a real a high level of disrespect towards the organization from a guy that hadn't played a single game in the NHL
2: I think there's absolutely a feeling of that um, Keith Jones and Danny Breer are extremely well liked in hockey circles I mean they're respected by many and by most uh, Keith Jones does things the right way I think Danny Breer does things the right way uh, they're very much considered first class people and I think people were awfully surprised that he, you know, Goche apparently kind of ducked them when Keith Jones, when I heard that Jones was going to Sweden, that the team's president of hockey operations, I, I was, that kind of opened my eyes. I was thinking, well, why would they send kind of the boss boss? You know, do they really, are they really concerned about things? And that was really turned out to be a last ditch effort was to send Keith Jones and Danny Barrer to try to meet with him one more time to, sway him on the flyers future and get him maybe on board. Um, and you know, listen, maybe go and and maybe we'll find out later that perhaps they were, Hey, we told them, we told them that we, you know, we weren't going to sign and that's all we had to do. Uh, you know, it was now the ball was kind of in their court to make something happen and, um, make a trade happen. And maybe they didn't want to meet anymore. Maybe that's fair, but, uh, Yeah, you know, the fact that the communication kind of evaporated um, definitely kind of surprised me and I think surprised a lot of people. And I think that certainly probably did not jive well with fans. Uh, When fans here in Philly feel like, you know, a a 19-year-old didn't want to talk to Keith Jones and Danny Brayer, I don't think that sat well here with the fan base.
1: How excited, before all this went down, were Flyers fans about Cutter Goche being one of their prospects?
2: Oh, big time. I mean, he was really going to be a face to their rebuild. Uh, the Flyers haven't had a ton of top five picks in their history. Uh, they had one recently, obviously, the number two overall pick in Nolan Patrick in his draft, and that didn't pan out. So Goche was kind of the next one. He was the next high pick for the Flyers that fans were really excited about. And then they followed him closely. And of course, he stands out at Boston College. He's one of the top college hockey players. He goes to the World Juniors and he shines and he, and he very much sounded like a flyer. When he was at the draft, um, just talking to him uh, in a one-on-one Zoom interview when he was picked, I had the impression of, wow, this kid sounds like a flyer and he might be the next, you know, the next uh, foundation piece to the flyers trying to get back on track. So it was very much Cutter Goche and then Matt Bemishkov. And these were the two guys that fans really obsessed over they followed them they watched their games uh boston college and mishkov in the khl and uh people were very excited about him and he was getting close i mean people thought he could have been a flyer this season uh it didn't turn out that way but people very much thought he could have maybe played games for the flyers at the end of this year or at least signed his elc and he would be knocking on the door so there was considerable buzz about Cutter goche here in Philadelphia. So that's why I think it stings as much as it has for the fans.
1: Do you think in a way this could... I'm not going to suggest this is a positive thing that happened because, you know, I don't think it is for the Flyers overall. Um, but is there a way that they can use this to kind of circle the wagons on the Flyers and help rebuild that identity, help rebuild that pride in the team. Um, A scapegoat can be real, real useful sometimes.
2: I do. I think that's an excellent point. I was thinking about that the other day. I think there's a silver lining to it for the Flyers. One, I think you're having a lot of people come out and kind of defend the Flyers. People are, you know, kind of coming out and saying, hey, you know, we think the Flyers are first class. And, you know, I remember my time with the Flyers and it was a great organization. And I can't believe someone maybe would turn them down. So I think they are having some people come out and really back the Flyers publicly. And I, I think that can't hurt. And I think it really has kind of motivated people in the locker room and within the coaching staff and when the, within hockey ops. I mean, even Travis Sanheim said it the other night that uh, he was surprised that, Kharagoshe didn't go to development camp, and he he said that stayed with a lot of players in the locker room. That when they heard that he was not coming to development camp, he said uh, every player should go to development camp, whether they're skating or not. So, uh, almost weirdly, it, it motivated players actually on the current roster. So I think people are actually welcoming Drysdale with open arms, and they're very uh, you know excited uh, to kind of push this thing forward, and yeah, kind of have it serve as almost a chip on on the Flyers' collective shoulder.
1: Jordan, do you think the Flyers are going to be able to hold on to that playoff spot? Uh, I mean, based on their two games against the Vancouver Canucks, they're the greatest team in in the league. The Canucks are having a great season, but they've had all sorts of trouble with the Flyers in their two games. Uh, But I've noticed that the Flyers have fallen off a little bit lately. Are some cracks starting to show in this team?
2: Yeah, they've lost 7-9, and they have certainly surprised a lot of people, and I think they're going to be better and finish in a better state than what people initially envisioned. But John Tortorella said it the other day, I think teams are really adjusting to the way they play. They wanted to incorporate more transition offense this year, and they were. They were one of the better teams, I think, generating offense off the rush. And the coaching staff has noticed that teams are adjusting to it. They're making them have to kind of grind games out, uh, make kind of simplified decisions in the neutral zone, so it's really going to be up to the Flyers to start playing that type of hockey in January and February where it's not always pretty and easy and the game's not open and loose. It's, you, know, you really have to forecheck v- v- and grind. So Tortorella is really hitting home that message, uh, and we're going to have to see if the Flyers can adjust to it. But I do think they have a very good locker room. Cam Atkinson the other day said it's one of the better locker rooms he's ever seen, and he's been around the league for a long time. So I, I think they're going to hang around and make it interesting in March Uh, But it'll really be up to them adjusting to other teams, kind of adjusting to them.
1: Could you see a lot of people text into our show and ask about a player like Travis Konechny and whether or not he'd be available at the trade deadline? Um, First of all, you can comment about Konechny and his future with the team, whether he has one or not. But also, are there any other players that you could see dealt out of there at the deadline?
2: With connecting, I think the Flyers would have to fall off a cliff for them to move him. I, I think they're starting to come around on the idea of him being like the next leader of the Flyers, the next guy that they can kind of build this youth moving around. He's, he's only 26, and he's on pace for 40 goals. and I think they really feel like he fits what they want to do here. So I don't think that would be something that happens at the trade deadline. Uh, some guys I think that they'll have to think long and hard about are some of their expiring contracts on defense, and that's Nick Steeler and Sean Walker, two guys that have really exceeded expectations. They're having career years, uh, and they look like they would be perfect fit for t- contending teams, teams that are looking to add around the margins. Um, I think they're going to have a lot of calls on those two players because of their contracts and because of how well they played. So the Flyers, I think, are going to have to really strike a balance of where they are at the deadline. Are they a team that they think can actually make a run? Or are they just a fringe playoff team that really needs to kind of cash in on assets like that and kind of help their future? So I would keep an eye on Nick Sealer and Sean Walker. They've opened eyes around the league. Uh, and I think come March, Danny Brayer is going to be busy with fielding calls on those two. Jordan, thanks for taking the time to do this
0: today, man. We really appreciate it. Great insight. Enjoy the rest of the season, whatever has in store. Uh, Maybe we'll do this again as we get closer to the trade deadline, or I guess if the Flyers are still in it, the playoff chase as we get closer to the end of the regular season. Yeah, that sounds
2: great. I really appreciate you guys having me. Would love to do it again sometime. Yeah, Jordan. Jordan, Appreciate it. it.
0: See you, buddy. Uh, Jordan Hall from NBC Sports Philadelphia here on the Halford & Breath show on Sportsnet 650.
1: I don't think we're ever going to truly get to the bottom of exactly what happened Mm, there. I think we might. There might be something that comes out because Cutter Goche is going to have to talk to the media at some point,
0: right? Because I don't think um, there was any one thing. I think
1: this is. I think it was probably. We always look for like. Do you think he just got like started to get a bad feel about the organization? About, um, uh, as, as far as it related to him, he's like, oh, well, maybe this isn't a fit here.
0: I think that our minds are trained that there's always one particular flashpoint or breaking point or bullet that, that made the difference. That pushed it over the edge. And I think that in this instance, it was probably a multitude of factors mm-hmm. combined with, and this is an entirely different conversation, but the rise in player empowerment in this league and younger guys – especially ones that haven't broken into the NHL yet being more and more determined to call their shot or dictate more of where they play and what they're doing than they normally have. Cause you got to remember when you get drafted in the NHL right now, it's fairly restrictive. Mm -hmm. There's a restriction on essentially where you're going to play the team that picked you and how much you're going to get paid under the entry level contract rules. So, you know, I mean, I'll put, I'll say this, I wish Connor Bedard had, forced Chicago's hand. I feel
1: like the college guys have more leverage in that. They do. Though, they you know? uh, they 100% like, do. That's I like a good it here in college I'll stay longer. You do have to um, delay your pro career, which can be hard for a lot of guys. You know, a lot of the guys that, you know, you hear um, who went to Harvard and stayed all 4 years and then signed somewhere else. Guy like uh, Jimmy VC. Um <laughs> For them, I don't know what Jimmy VC was like after the first or second year there. I don't know if he was ready to come out then anyway. I mean, the, the I, most... For a guy like Cutter Goche, who maybe felt that he should be in the NHL this season, it would be hard to be like, okay, I'm going to stay at Boston College for four years and not make Say, any the, money while I could be making money and starting my NHL the, the
0: guy that you're probably referencing that's a better fit is Adam Fox, who passed on not one, but two teams, right? got to the team that he wanted to go to, and then won a Norris Trophy. I mean, it worked out terrific for him, but you're right. College players do have that sort of leverage. Others don't. Anyway, we spent a lot of time talking about the Philadelphia Flyers here at the start of the seven o'clock hour. How about we turn our attention back to the local hockey squadron, Jason, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, another impressive victory last night for those of you that may have missed it, although I can't imagine that you did. Uh, they Finally took care of all three teams in the New York, New Jersey metro area on a single trip, a five, two victory over the New York Islanders at UBS arena that comes on the heels of wins over the Rangers and the devils. So if you add it all up, the Canucks go three games in four days in that New York, New Jersey area, and they take care of not just all three teams, but all three teams that are playing good hockey, all three of them in playoff positioning at the time of playing the Canucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at that Islanders team last night, and to me, in a very weird way, because I think that they're the worst of the three teams that we mentioned, that might have been the most difficult game for the Canucks because they were coming off a back-to-back, They were going up an Islanders team that was fairly well-rested. They came home from a road trip and hadn't played since Saturday when they lost to Vegas. The Canucks were without Thatcher Demko, who was terrific in Madison Square Garden on Monday night. The Canucks were without Ian Cole, who got a a maintenance day, basically. And God bless this season that we are at the stage where the Canucks can start giving guys nights off for maintenance days on January 10th. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable.
1: And it still looks seamless out there.
0: And it was comprehensive, the victory. Mm -hmm. Sat and Bick were talking about it on the post-game show last night about clean hockey. And the way you talk about dramatic turnarounds from last year to this year, and we look at the win column, and there's a dramatic turnaround there, and that the Canucks actually Mm -hmm. have wins where they didn't last year. The point totals, it's a huge gap between where they were last year to this year. But stylistically that might be the biggest turnaround. It's because,
1: respectable hockey,
0: it's winning hockey. But they were so non-respected last year. It was a joke at times. Yeah. The w- it wasn't just the way that the, or it wasn't just the
1: losses. It was the way that they were losing. Well, even some of their wins, some of their wins were, right. you know that 75 crazy eight, four, game yeah. they played against the Habs and people are like, "Wasn't that entertaining?" I was like, you know, I can I can watch beer league if I want to watch this, like, crazy, you know, turnaround and scoring and nobody playing defense. And, you know, like, yeah, mm-hmm. or I can watch, you know, if I want to watch good players play beer league. I, I, that's why I don't like the all-star game. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's, like, no structure. There's no intensity. It doesn't seem particularly hard to score. Mm-hmm. You should celebrate goals when you score them. It should be hard to score, and it should be hard to score against you.
0: Yeah. Now, there's a lot of talk right now about how this is all a byproduct of buying in. And this is about Rick Tockett delivering a message to his guys and making them understand that if you do these things and the staples and the tenets and the non-negotiables, success will come. Well, the success has come. And then yesterday, Tockett had an interesting answer, talking about the definition of a team guy. Now, this kind of came off of the conversation about Ian Cole because there was nothing particularly wrong with Ian Cole yesterday. Taka just understood that as a veteran guy who plays a lot of hard minutes and eats a lot of pucks and does all those things, they almost had to convince him, like, hey, let's take a night off. Like, let's think about the big picture of the long term. Mm-hmm. You know, you could use a rest here. It's been a tough grind. We're in the second of a back-to-back. You're on the wrong side of 30. He's like a team dad. Ian, Gwinn, yeah, see, yeah. Right? Dads need a break. They get tired, right? They just want to sit the to Put your slippers on and watch the game. Right? Read the newspaper, Ian, during the game. You could yeah. actually hear him snoring during the game. Yeah. <laughs> Loudly, bits of popcorn all over his shirt. Anyway, uh, here's talking. Why is the TV up so loud? Here's talking. Not just on Ian Cole, but the definition of being a team guy.
1: Since I've got you, I, I, I always pre- preach the team. You know, it's no different. Like a coach when there's an empty net, you know, there's eight guys looking. They want to get on. You know, and my thing is, hey, whoever gets on, and I get it. Some people want to get on, and we'll, we can talk about it later. But in the moment, be happy for your teammate. So I think. That's the key of a good team guy is, you know, being in the moment, happy for a guy, and then you have the tough conversations with the coach later. Hey, man, you know, why am I not out there or you know, how come I'm not playing? But that's for a different time, and I think that's what this team's really good at, and stay in the moment, and that's what being a team guy is.
0: Can we just, again, take a moment to appreciate how good the vibes are, knowing that they could change at a moment's notice? I mean, the conversation, we weren't far away of conversations about how uh, there was a lack of this harmony and togetherness and camaraderie and there weren't team guys. There were guys not inviting other guys to the Halloween party and crap like that. You really, <laughs> yeah. Those were conversations that were going on and it was very <laughs> disheartening, <laughs> very disheartening because you got the sense that regardless of the individual talent of the players, they were never going to be pulling the rope in the same direction or playing for one another. Mm-hmm. And now you've got the coach coming out and saying, there's buy-in across the board. like, And with little things that you think don't matter but kind of do, who's out for an empty netter? Who's getting extra ice time? Who's getting the flowers? Who's getting the plaudits and all that? Those things can rip teams apart, like 100%. It's mm-hmm. happened before. Sure, Pettiness does come into play when you're talking about highly paid, highly compensated, and highly
1: motivated and um, guys that are very competitive. And when right? you add losing to the equation it becomes more of, I'm going to look out for myself here. Yeah. And
0: what did they do? I mean, I'm going to say this. They made their best player their captain, right? I mean, that was... (laughs) I'm not trying to throw shade at Horvat or anything, but you can just kind of see the difference where there's a clarity in everything that they do. Mm. The way that they play the game is straightforward. The way that they buy in is very straightforward. It's all about the team. It's what's on the front of the jersey and not on the back. And then when it comes to leadership... There was, you know, Hughes might not be the most outwardly vocal or inspirational guy in terms of what we see, but it's really understood that of all the great players that they have and God, this team might have five all-stars, like the way
1: that Canucks fans are stuffing the ballot box right now, the online But they're not stuffing box. the ballot box. I mean, well, they might well, they be are. a little bit, but, the, I mean, all, all, the guys, but all the guys, but all that guys that could potentially go to the all-star game in Toronto, by the way, which is hilarious, Yeah, um, Hughes is already going there. Yeah. Um, Pedersen deserves to go. Mm -hmm. JT Miller deserves to go. Brock Besser deserves to go. And Thatcher Demko deserves to go.
0: Right. All I was trying to say was that Hughes is the best player. Like, of a team that has a lot of really great players right now, Mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes is the best player. And, I mean, everything about him right now, like, the one thing, if you were to nitpick parts of his game from previous years, one of them was like, well, he's a great offensive player, but he doesn't score a ton of goals for a defenseman. He's got 11 goals this year. He's one behind Ross Mistelin for the lead among NHL defensemen and goals, and this is a guy that, you know, historically throughout his short but very decorated NHL career, was more of a setup guy. The goal totals weren't high, but it wasn't because we didn't think he could do it. He just didn't. He was a pass first guy. Now he's scoring. He's, he's going to be a twenty goal guy this year, probably. Uh,
1: I got a text I want to read because I've actually wondered about this. Uh, you bring in studs like Tockett, Foot, Gonchar, players respect and listen. Imagine a one-on-one chat with a coach as accomplished as Tockett. Picture young players YouTubing him Foot Gonchar. What an awesome effect. Yeah. And also, you're scared that if you don't forecheck, they might beat you up based on some of the old YouTubes of Foot and and, uh, Tockett, especially Tockett.
0: We highly recommend you play these (laughs) (laughs) systems for your own health and safety.
1: They do look like a couple hired goons (laughs) on the bench because Foot and Gonchar are always standing next to each other, Mm -hmm. and you're like... Uh, what social club are you guys yeah. guarding right now? It's in your best interest to try that again. <laughs> um, th- no, you know what? I was thinking about that as well. The trio.
0: I mean, I'll, I'll remove Yo from the equation, but those three, there can't be a current NHL bench. like So I'm talking head coach and two assistants, the mm. sort of standard one, with that decorated uh, an NHL resume collectively. Yeah. There's no way. There's no chance. Uh... Foot, Gonchar, talk it. There's not there can't there cannot be a bench that has that Who's on Brindamore's bench? It doesn't even matter. Right. They just can't. There's there's no way, right? No Mm -hmm. one no one has that those kind of credentials. Certainly not intimidating. No, not and the versatility of it too, right? Like they've got the defensive defenseman in foot and the offensive defenseman in Gonchar. And then you had Tockett, who brought the best of both worlds. He was a physical guy, but he also could pop goals. Would this be
1: an unprofessional question to ask of Rick Tockett? Probably, since you started it with that. Do you think you could beat up everyone on your team? Um, One, highly (laughs) highly unprofessional.
0: But two, probably the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) If we want to start yeah, who's the toughest guy in the Canucks right now? We still haven't answered that question.
1: I told you about um, me... um, Sending some videos to my hockey team, and it's not like a bunch of like nineteen year olds that I play with, but they didn't know Rick Tockett. And one of them asked in our WhatsApp chat, "Like, was Rick Tockett tough when he played in the NHL?" Oh my God. And I sent him a video of like him fighting Bob Probert and headbutting Bob Probert, and just like the wars that Rick Tocket has been through. And all he's asking you to do is forecheck and win some battles, right? You know, like it doesn't seem like too much to do when a guy like Rick Todd could asks you that.
0: But Rod Brindamore's assistants are Jeff Daniels and Tim Gleason, so no, right? Although yeah. Gleason was a, tough a piece player. of business when he played, yeah. But no, it doesn't even. Jeff Daniels, from to dumb
1: and dumber fan. Yeah, Jeff Daniels from Den- Dumb and Dumber. He's yeah. on their bench, is he? Yeah, yeah. Wow,
0: <laughs> he looks, that's looks very pretty good. At. most nights, a lot of plays. They have the most comedic coaching staff in yeah. the entire NHL. Okay. Uh, we got to go to break, uh, coming up. We got an open segment. We can dive into the Dunbar lumber text line. We really should get to some of these other NHL stories. Last night, it was a very busy Tuesday in the NHL. There was a lot that was going on. Uh, we can answer any of your questions about the Vancouver Canucks. And a reminder, if you want to win tickets to see the 32 thoughts live show on Thursday, January 18th from Wicket hall in Victoria, send a what we learned in, put a ticket emoji in, uh, make it a good, what we learned. And you will be entered into the grand prize contest for a pair of tickets. Uh, Second half of the 7 o'clock hour coming up. You're listening to the Halford & Breff Show on Sportsnet 650.
2: The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Dranz. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Brough, Sportsnet 650. Halford Brough of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of this program, open segment time. It's brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. It's at a liquor store near you or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. Um, because we've spent a considerable amount of time talking about the Vancouver Canucks, I think it's due diligence at this point to make sure that we keep uh, keep very close tabs on everything that's going on around the top of the NHL standings. I was going to make a joke earlier that usually on January 10th, we're busy calling prospects experts so we can get a early look at the upcoming NHL entry draft. Ooh, name some right-shot defensemen. Every year, it felt like, for a while. That, or we start calling teams that might be interested in buying some of the Canucks' assets at the trade deadline. Mm. We're not in this position where we're like, ooh, the Canucks are second overall in the NHL, chasing the Winnipeg Jets for first overall. But that's where we're at. By the way, uh, the Jets won their seventh game in a row last night. They've now uh, gotten points from 13 straight games. It was a shutout 5 nothing victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Winnipeg has allowed two goals or less in 10 straight games. And, of course, they shut out the Jackets last night. They have now allowed three goals or less in 30 straight games. I cannot believe how stingy this team is. I saw Sean Reynolds was on mm-hmm. uh, Sportsnet. Winnipeg Jets insider was on with Jeff Merrick the other day. And it was kind of a funny line. I laughed, but I guess there's some truth to it. He's like, the star of this team is the system. Yeah, there's no player. I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose Connor Hellebuck maybe, but he said even Connor Hellebuck isn't the sole reason for this defensive stinginess. It's
1: crazy, they, they're doing this without Kyle Connor.
0: I mean, well, the the winning yes, because Connor's an offensive guy, right? He's, he he's still needs to man. score goals. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and this is without a doubt. The best defensive team in hockey, mm-hmm. I'd say by a wide margin. All due respect to what the Canucks have done this year, but this yeah. is another level. What the what the what the Jets are doing—it's uh, remarkable.
1: We got a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line, uh, Halford. You asked which Canadian team—Winnipeg, Toronto, or Vancouver—has the best chance to win the cup. You might want to add Edmonton to the mix. Yeah, I, I would still. Now I've been very positive today, so don't get mad at me. But if you ask me which Canadian team has the best chance to win the cup, I'd still say it's Edmonton. I can't go there because of the goaltending.
0: Right. I can't. I, I You know, kudos to uh, Skinner, Principal Skinner, for getting mm-hmm. his season back on track. And, I mean, they're racking up wins like crazy. They've got eight. Was it eight straight? That, that was last night. And a very narrow <laughs> 2-1
1: victory over... What looked to be the Chicago Blackhawks? Yeah, A yeah. dog played for the Blackhawks last night. You he may was, as well. He was, have. On, he was on the second power play. Do you have the I did line?
0: Well, I think. Do you have the line combinations in front of you? I know we're bouncing all over the place with the Edmonton game. There were a lot of takeaways. Okay, so one, Oilers win eighth straight. Uh, they're not going to dip out of the playoff picture again. They're even though they didn't play well last night, they still won. Two. The team that the Chicago Blackhawks
1: iced last night was borderline Mm unrecognized. Starting at center, number 23, Philip Kurashev. Yeah. And this is their first line, by the way. On the right side, Taylor Radish. And on the left side, Rem Pitlick. Ah. Second line, this is probably going to be the guy that goes to the All-Star game and replacing Connor Bedard. Jason Dickinson. Now, Who were his wingers, He Jason? was between Joey Anderson and Colin Blackwell. Those are definitely guys. Third line, Mackenzie Entwistle. I love him. Now, he had Cole Gutman. Nice. Goodman, I guess, on the Wait- right side. Waiting for Gutman, they call him. <laughs> and Lucas Reichel on his left. And the fourth line, man. This team, they just have so much depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Sanford between Ryan Donato and Boris Kachuk which is not a sneeze. Uh, on the defense, top pairing of Jared Tonorty and Connor Murphy, Jacob Megna. Remember him? Uh, brother of Jason Megna. And he was paired with Alex Vlasic.
0: And on of the th- Mark,
1: Andre, uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. Is it really?
0: No, it's not. They no. Are not you talk team.
1: about yeah. a no-name lineup. Uh, and on the third pair is their young defenseman, who actually does have some upside, Kevin Korchinski with Nikita Zaitsev. Sorry, no. did you say Jordan chew? Kachuk. and
0: Boris Kachuk. B- Boris
3: Kachuk.
0: Ka-chuk. Kachuk. Kachuk.
1: Kachuk. Yeah.
0: Kachuk. Yeah. Kachuk. Bless you. They have a Boris and a Rem. I bet they're the only NHL team to ever have a Boris and a Rem. That is like ne- a next level tanking yeah. lineup. Like no. it's, it's
1: honestly impressive. The Oilers just got by that team last
0: night. <laughs> okay, so since we're on this, <laughs> let's let's play this out. So like, in this, like that's like an AHL roster, not even in this game filled with things. Boris's Rems, a two-one Oilers victory. There was also a offside review on a Zach Hyman goal that took approximately thirty-seven minutes to do it was it it has to be unofficially the longest review in NHL history so the play in question wasn't um Zach Hyman entering the zone and scoring the goal it was uh Leon Dreisaitl taking the puck into the zone originally kind of off his skate kind of going backwards it was a very very tight call now it went against the Oilers after a very lengthy review a lengthy review that allowed the Oilers broadcast to watch it about, I don't know, 30 times. and The con- broadcast must hate that, too. It's like, what do you think? Ah. Con- I know we said it before, but could they change the rule that reviews aren't allowed to take more than 60 seconds? I don't think like do they Like, if you haven't determined it within Although, 60 if seconds. Although, there's a technical difficulty. Uh, who cares? You know, Chris, Nob- Chris Knobloch, the Oilers head coach, did bring up a very good point related to that. He said, look, as coaches, we get about 30 seconds to look on the tablet and make a decision whether we want to challenge or not. The referees and the linesmen get unlimited amount of time to look at it and look at it and look at it. And that was basically mm-hmm. the argument that the Oilers had. It's like, it felt like they kept looking at it enough times, so for the were like they convinced themselves that there was something there. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. That's, like if you don't okay, know within, what they were saying, they saying. Shouldn't count it. all I'm trying to do is set up some audio from Connor McDavid, who was pretty steamed and pretty candid in the aftermath. Uh, Oilers still win two one, but here's what McDavid had to say about the very lengthy goal review that was wiped out dude offside.
3: If it takes you 15 minutes to, to determine if it's offside or not, um, it probably doesn't really matter. Um, you know, um, you know. I talked to the linesman after ultimately it's not a, not their call, I guess, you know, obviously they said it came down from the league, but you know, you zoom in, you zoom in, you keep zooming in until you can't zoom in anymore. And I guess it's offside. So um, you know what? Um, so these, these are calls that uh, you know, change games and ultimately it didn't go our way. You know, that was a big call. Um, it would have really really hurt them. And um, I thought it should have been onside. I mean, it's kind of possession too, right? Like the argument of possession. Um, that whole debate can start again. Um, you know, it was such a close one. You'd like to see it. You know, I, I think the NHL uses the analogy dead wrong, right? They, you know, if it's if it's dead wrong or something like that, I don't know what they say. Like they want it to be clear and obvious, right? Um that one's certainly not clear and obvious.
0: Uh, so the Oilers, despite the disallowed goal, took care of whatever was left of the Chicago Blackhawks last night, 2-1. So Connor Bedard, you mentioned it in my ear during the break. Can you give me an update on the, the fractured jaw is going to keep him out? How long, Andy? Six to eight weeks. That news just came down. So no Connor Bedard for the foreseeable future, which sucks. Is he still going to win rookie of the year? Ah, this is going to be tough. Now you missed that much time, that many games. It's going to put a dent into his resume. Who's going to sure. the All Star game for the Blackhawks? Is it Jason Dickinson? Jason Dickinson? Is it him <laughs> or Boris Kachuk? <laughs> Kachuk, Kachuk. Um, now the Chicago Blackhawks are bad. Somehow, not as bad as the San Jose Sharks. I actually feel bad for David Quinn right now, the head coach of the San Jose Sharks, because last night in Toronto they lost seven to one. It was. Their 12th consecutive loss, all 12 of those losses, Jason, have come in regulation. They have not scratched out a single solitary point
1: since December 12th. Oh, good, good for the Leafs for winning in regulation. Twice, <laughs> as
0: a matter of fact, because the Leafs got them back-to-back. They were in San Jose, they beat them 4-1, then they came back to Toronto, and they're like, let's make this worse for you, David Quinn. The San Jose Sharks have nine wins this season. Yeah,
1: they're terrible. They
0: have two losing streaks that have reached double digits, and I might remind you, we are barely at the halfway point of the season for some of these teams. David Quinn sounds, looks, and feels
1: like a man who is just wanting this thing to end. They have guys on that team that epitomize bad systems hockey. Yep. in Anthony Duclair and Mike Hoffman, who are snipers, but... There's a reason they bounce around a lot. Yeah, and they're waiting to bounce out of there right now, I would imagine. They're just counting down the minutes until Mm -hmm. the
0: trade deadline when they get picked up for a six-round pick from somebody. That's probably what will happen. And that's a hard thing to try and coach. But, I mean, David Quinn was borderline despondent yesterday. I tried to find audio, but nobody from the Sharks' side of things was posting audio. The Sharks' Twitter account had a crying Jordan meme. Graphic. Oh, that was the last thing they posted last night. That's still relevant, right? <laughs> well, like, what are you going to do if you're the San Jose Sharks social media guy? Yeah, yeah. You're, you've lost 12 straight games. You lost 7-1 in Toronto. There's no positives to be taken from this. Your head coach is beside himself. You know, for, consider this. David Quinn called it arguably our worst game of the year. This is a team that has allowed 10 goals twice this year and that was the worst game of the year
1: what do you think thomas hurdle is thinking about having out of here long-term extension he's 30 years old he doesn't have all that many years left in the prime years of his career Mm -hmm. and he's committed to this now hopefully for his sake he's thinking i'm gonna go buy something i'm rich i have a lot of money a little retail therapy for Thomas, but you know, if I'm sure he's a competitive guy and he doesn't want to be playing these games. Like, I don't like playing these games when it's beer league, right? Yeah. We all play in these games. Like, oh, you know, Billy couldn't make it, so we're kind of screwed here tonight. Well,
0: the stuff that's coming out of the. So I, I mentioned David Quinn. David Quinn went on a, a swearing tirade too yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. s the s word, the f word in relation to losing all the time, and then there was an article that came out. I think it was on uh, NBC Sports Bay Area talking about how the players have now resigned themselves to the fact that even if they play their best or close to their best, they're probably going to lose. And that's a hell of a thing for a professional hockey team to throw out there and openly acknowledge Mm -hmm. that we are so bad at this that even if we do everything right, or at least as well as we can do it, we're probably still going to lose games. That's tough. Uh, A team that is not losing games right now, the Seattle Kraken. There are a lot of teams that are streaking. If you look right now, the Oilers are on fire. The Jets are on fire. The hottest team in the NHL might be the Florida Panthers. And if it's not Florida, it might be the Seattle Kraken. They won their seventh straight game and extended their point streak to 11. They beat the Sabres 5-2 in Buffalo. And this is one of the most improbable things that has happened this season is the Kraken just flipping the switch mm-hmm. from being maybe the most disappointing team in the NHL through October, the, November, and December.
1: The Kraken were like, football's over in Seattle. People are going to need someone to watch.
0: And then they were like, let's just put Joey Decord in net and see what happens. And he has been remarkable. Mm-hmm. He's won six straight. Uh, he had 36 saves last night. They got outplayed and outshot by Buffalo last night. Buffalo outshot them 19-15 to 15 in the first period, 19-11 over the second and third periods. So it wasn't even a great performance by the Kraken. But here's the thing. When you get goaltending that they haven't really had all year up until Joey DeCord took over in that, all of a sudden, the Kraken are now firmly back in the playoff chase.
1: I want to read in early what we learned from Tambo in East Van. What we learned, I learned that for two teams that were supposed to take a big step this season at the halfway mark, the Senators and Sabres are now bottom feeders. They are bad. You already mentioned the Sabres. The Senators had a terrible third period against the Calgary Flames. And lost, I don't know what the final score was. Quite a few goals to not as many. Six to three. Um, <laughs> the Senators are the Canucks if the Canucks hadn't improved. Right? Like everyone in auto was like, mm. we got to get off to a better start this year. We got to play better defensively. We got to build uh we got to build a culture here. Are we we saying- need we need to have we need to have leadership and meanwhile their GM's getting fired. The, they've got a new head coach in there and it's Jacques Martin. Yeah. You know, like Their second ooh. half like, Bruce there it is Canucks. Last year's Bruce there it is Canucks. Kind of. But they never had the Bruce-There-It-Is moment. No, I know.
0: That's what I'm saying. Just the, the yeah, bad part. The bad they're just part. bad.
1: They're just bad. Can you, and, and the frustration that must be coming from Buffalo, assuming there are Sabres fans left. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I know there are Sabres fans left, but a lot of those fans have really checked out in Buffalo and in Ottawa where they've got a new owner, and there was legitimate hope this season that this team could pull itself together. And maybe it happens next season. Maybe it was unfair to expect it all to happen this season, especially with you know uncertainty with DJ Smith, uncertainty with Pierre Dorian heading in. They had the issues with you know Shane Pinto, and I'm probably forgetting other issues in Ottawa because there's always an issue. Um, oh, maybe they, they got ding for the Evgeny Dadanov trade, well, which led to Pierre Dorian's yeah. firing. Maybe there, were, there were issues. Maybe it's next season that is more fair for them to come together as a team. But I also think that the new management group there is probably looking at certain players like Jacob Chickern's name is out there oh yeah you know they're going to have to like do they something. might have to make some some more significant moves before they're even in a position to compete again this season might be they, they there was talk before this season people would say i'm looking at the senators lineup and i'm looking at the leafs lineup and i think the senators have a better lineup you know obviously that was proven wrong but that was the expectation in Ottawa, and obviously they look at a team like Toronto in comparison a lot.
0: Well, the Vancouver comparison that you brought up is a good one because the Senators play some of the most sloppy, loose, unstructured hockey I've seen this season. So I watched our game against Calgary last night, and you remember that game against Vancouver where all these crazy bounces were happening, pucks were going in off defensemen, and everything? That happens all the time to the Senators, apparently, because it happened last night As well. They just, they have all these, it's either positionally unsound or poor reads that always seem to cost them. Remember the Canucks in the second half of the Boudreaux era Mm -hmm. where it was like they make some huge mistakes and then every one of those mistakes (laughs) seems to end up in the back of the net. That feels like Ottawa right now. You brought up Bruce. Oh, you're doing it, aren't
1: you? Wow. You're doing it. You're committed to it. You said it out loud. Um, Where is the quote? And it's in a, I'm only reading the social media part of this, So, but this is a Boudreaux quote courtesy Ben Kuzma. We're doing Um, it. He was asked about the Canucks, and he said, I'm really proud of them. I will say this. If Thatcher Demko was ready from the beginning of last year, we might be having this conversation live. He had the knee operation in summer, and his start was slower, and he got hurt again. No. No you uh, you <laughs> the team did not play good hockey under Bruce Boudreau and i remember a conversation since i'm throwing bruce under the bus i'm going to throw you under the bus too don't I, bring me into this i remember a we conversation we had during the bruce boudreau era and it was nearing the end, and I said, I asked you openly, do you think the Canucks are a well-coached team? And you said, yes. And I said, I like vehemently disagree with you, just because you can see it. You can see when a team is prepared to play. You can see a team when a, that, that is all on the same page. And they were not under Bruce. Now, did Demko's health hurt them? Yeah, of course it hurt them. But They played so badly in front of them. And I think a lot of analytics back that up. And also, your eyes. I'm going to pivot off this. I'm going to pivot off this. I'm going to pivot, though,
0: (laughs) in a very clever way. Bruce Boudreaux was the second fastest coach in the NHL to get to 500 wins. and Scotty Bowman was the fastest. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux was the second fastest. You know who the third fastest is? John Cooper. He did it last night.
1: Oh, good for Coop. That was a big win for them. They're down two nothing yep. as well.
0: Nick Perbix the hero in overtime. Bolts get a huge win over the By the way, the Kings are a well team. Kings have completely hit the skids. Yeah. Yep. 0-3 and 3 losers of the uh, six in a row. But the Bolts get a huge win. That was John Cooper's 500th NHL victory. Uh third fastest as I mentioned and just the sixth coach of all time to get all 500 wins with the same team. That's now, the most impressive part to me. What did he did it, it all in the first same gig. place? Yeah, I first know. NHL gig, yeah. he's got to 500 with the same team. So here's a question for everyone. We can all weigh in. Um, we, we talk about Team Canada, and we always talk about like the forward lines, who's going to make defense, who's going to be in goal. That's a big question. If you had to pick Team Canada's coach right now for the next major international competition,
1: would it be Coop? Rick, he'd be my, he'd Rick, be my choice. Rick Talkin. Well, see, that's the thing. Talkin. 1987 Canada Cup, he's got the experience. Talkin
0: has very much entered the chat, right? He's got mm. the experience as a
1: player. He's the coach yeah, of the year. Coop's played out. He's <laughs> old news now. Yeah. What did he do when he was playing? He was a lawyer. The, the, the Lightning are... They have a very good chance of missing the playoffs this season. I uh, don't know. They had yeah, a good win last night. They had a big night. win last night. Hey, can we talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois?
0: Well, hold on. I just You just yell out a name if, if everybody wants... Is everyone even on microphones for right coaching? now? For coaching? Yeah. Uh, you say well, your I just, pocket's a it. totally viable choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He'll be in the mix for it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Coop hasn't really had the opportunity to coach a major international How much team. of a
1: relationship does he have with Hockey Canada? Because that sometimes matters, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, he's done one international one. I, I want to check as well. Those uh, well, teams are already in the pl- always in the playoffs. He's like, I am not available for the world. <laughs> Laddie and Sonia, you can jump in at any time. Uh, yeah, he doesn't do the Worlds very often, does right. he? Right. Um, and then I think a dog went to the bathroom, <laughs> hopefully outside, like a good dog, but we'll see um, who's cleaning up the mess right if you, now, if, you me. pick, if you had to pick I mean, I know I'm throwing everybody on the spot right
1: now, but if you had to pick, who would it be? oh, I'm saying talk it. yeah, okay. what about what about bonus in Winnipeg? yep, that's another one as well uh laddie Laddie's gonna be like Ian Clark. <laughs>
0: They should go with the goalie. <laughs> be, Mitch Corn,
1: You're onto something, I yeah. think. Well, let's no, all put he's... these guys on the spot. Fine. Um, you know, I think it is going to be an interesting decision because Babcock had that job down, right? It was 2010, and then he got it again in 2014. Well, that's and kind of what I was getting Canada at. Had... It's
0: gone to all the old, like, yeah. Hitchcock was there for a while, Lindy Roff's always
1: Who was that bastardized ver- version of the World Cup uh, coach? Who was the coach then for Canada? Is oh. it Babcock?
0: No. Uh, I'll look it up. Okay. I was trying to find out if Cooper had coached for Canada before and he has. I knew there was a World Cup in there. Uh also he was the world championship head coach in 2016-17 for yep. Canada. But he's also coached for USA. He coached he was assistant coach for one of the Halinka teams. Oh, we don't want him then. That the Americans we don't want him. so he, I yeah, I think he's got dual citizenship, isn't he? He's a dually, like Andy. Uh Mike Babcock was the coach of the twenty sixteen okay. World Cup of hockey.
1: Quick note about Pierre Luc Dubois. Thirty seven games Seven goals, nine assists. So remember, My, had, minus nine. Remember, we had Jonathan Davis on the show a long time ago, uh, mm-hmm. West Coast hockey.
0: Uh, he does the Serious XM NHL uh, show. And. He was one of the few people that vehemently pushed back against their acquisition of Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like he yeah. covers the Kings pretty close, and he's like, I don't think they needed him. Mm. And they gave away three good contributors at forward. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, oh, JD's way off
1: on this one. Like, you, you get a chance to get Dubois. Because you get get Dubois. Because you're used to the the idea of, like, the player, the team that gets the best player, always wins the trade. And building down the middle too. Yeah, right?
0: like we're going to be so strong down the middle. This is a great move. But mm-hmm. kudos to Jonathan Davis for pointing that out because I honestly I just thought that that was going to take <laughs> the Kings on a rocket ship when you have Kopitar, Dano, and Pierre-Luc Dubois down the middle. Like yeah. that's a tough team to deal with. But they've really hit the skids as of late. Um, I do want to mention one thing before we go to break. Uh, this is why I love our listeners. I know sometimes I can make fun of them and at times loathe them and block them in the Dunbar Lumber text <laughs> message okay. in basket. Keep going. Keep going, buddy. However, sometimes the listeners come through in ways that I can't even imagine. So when we were talking about the current iteration of the Chicago Blackhawks, I mentioned that they have to be the only team in NHL history to ice both a Boris and a Rem at the same time. They just picked up Rem Pitlick off waivers. Put him on their first line, which right. is a totally normal thing. He's to like, do. "You're the star of the team," <laughs> and he took over star of the team status from <laughs> Boris Kachuk, who was the previous star of the team. Someone texted in and pointed out that <laughs> the 1997 Edmonton Oilers also had a Boris and a Rem. They had Bo- Boris Mironov, yeah, Boris Mironov. Oh, Bo Mironov, right? But Rem Murray what was that? Yes. Oh yeah. So, I the love the Boris and Rem show. I love that someone picked up on that and pointed. I don't even care that I'm wrong. That is amazing.
1: Is 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 someone whose nickname is called Rem, is are they Remington? Is that their name? Is that what it is? I always wondered well, I don't that. know. I have no idea. Rem Murray is It's a cool name. Rem Murray. I would go full first
0: you name. You will if never my name guess what Remington. you will never guess what Rem Murray's first name is.
1: Uh Remster. Nope. <laughs> what is Definitely it? Definitely not Remster. <laughs> uh Raymond. Oh, okay. I didn't. Is is that often a shortened version of it? No. You know what is? Is Ray right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
0: I don't know how he got. We should start calling
1: him Rem Ferraro.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Remington Ferraro. You're listening to the Alfred and Bref Show on Sportsnet 650.